This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Alrighty. Welcome back to Brojo Online. We're going to be talking about hatred today, or strong dislike if you prefer that term. And there's a really important reason that we're talking about it. Because of the simple fact that it can be easily evidenced. Which is that hatred does not feature much in the lives of confident people. Love and compassion and understanding certainly does, but hatred doesn't. And hatred does feature in the lives of people with low self-worth. Whether it's self-hatred or hatred of others or both. So... Without knowing if there's any real research into this, I have a hypothesis that there is a very high correlation between hatred and lack of confidence. And reverse of that, of course, that there is a high correlation between love and acceptance and self-confidence. So we're going to have a look at hatred today. It's one of those things that's just worth looking at properly. We can start by having a look at what hatred is. Hatred is defined as a strong feeling of dislike. That's it, that's the definition, a strong feeling of dislike. And we'll explore that and probe that a bit more today. What I want to talk about today in particular is hatred towards human beings. Either a person or a group. Like some people oppose the word hatred and they say, I don't hate anybody. But if I say, well, who do you strongly dislike? (laughs) You know, there's some answers. So if you don't like the word hate, just every time I say it, replace it with strong dislike or a strong feeling of dislike. Because you might have some shame around the word hate, but you almost certainly have the experience of hatred in your life at some point. Pretty much everyone does. There must be something or someone that you strongly dislike. Today we're going to focus on people, because not only I think is this more relevant to confidence... But in particular, it's relevant to social confidence, which is a huge portion of the confidence pie. How you feel about yourself around other people uh, strongly determines your quality of life. So we're going to have a look at that. And I want you to just take a moment, just register, bring up to your mind, who do you have a strong feeling of dislike for? Either a single individual or a group, okay, a category of people, or just an, a person that comes to mind. And, and as many as you can think of. Throughout this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to you about my journey of recovering from my hatred of a very specific group of people that most people hate. Child sex offenders, uh, often known as pedophiles. So I used to hate them, and now I do not feel hatred towards that group. Now, I've got to qualify that. I don't like what they do and what gives them their name, but them as people is something that's changed for me. My perspective on them has changed from blind, raging hatred to understanding and sort of detached clinical observation. So as we go through this, I'm going to talk about how I changed and why I'm glad I changed and the benefits of changing. So if you're like me, they're almost certainly a group that features on your list of of people that you hate or groups that you hate. I'm going to rattle off some more. If you can't think of any, I'm going to rattle off some groups that are often uh, hated by other groups or by individuals. So there's other types of criminals as well. Murderers, rapists, organized crime or gangs, you know, thieves. Is there a type of criminality that you hate or a type of criminal that you hate? 
strongly dislike. Politicians as a group. Uh, immigrants. Women or men, you know, one of the genders. Religions or atheists. Vegans and other sort of strongly moralistic groups. Maybe you hate a whole country, like a lot of people hate Americans. Or maybe you hate a certain race. Dictators, maybe you hate people who uh, run a whole country with like authoritative leadership. You know, people who commit genocide and things like that. You might even hate your own parents or other members of your family or people who are close to you that you're forced to interact with, like your boss. Maybe you hate uh, psychopaths and con artists and those people that trick little old ladies out of their life savings. Or maybe you're prejudiced against homosexuals or transgenders, lesbians, gays, whatever. Maybe you hate people of a certain persuasion. Or you hate people that might have engaged in a certain behavior like getting an abortion, you know, or hurting an animal. There'll be somebody in that list, some group that when you hear about them, you get a strong feeling of dislike, right? You don't even know who I'm talking about. I haven't mentioned any specific individuals, but just boom, instantly strong feeling of dislike. Yeah, fuck that group, that kind of feeling. And or you may have hatred towards some specific individuals. Yeah, the individuals I don't know that only you know, you know, people close to you that I can't relate to. Or more famous individuals, you know, here are some examples like uh, Michael Jackson, you know, or um, Bill Cosby, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Osama Bin Laden, maybe, or Saddam Hussein. Sam Harris, if you're a religious person, you hate atheists, you know, Richard Dawkins. If you're a political person, like someone maybe like Margaret Thatcher, you know, George Bush, Kim Kim Jong-un, you know, from North Korea. Well, that guy recently did the, the mass murder in New Zealand, killed 50 Muslims and wounded many more. So you might have an individual, a famous individual or an infamous individual whom you hate or feel strongly disliked. I want you to just pick a few. Particularly if, if any of the ones I've mentioned or that came up for you are like a strong one for you, like that, I fucking hate them. You know, like, I'm generally a kind person, but fuck that group or fuck that individual. You know, whoever brings up that feeling and reaction in you. And just let yourself accept that, yeah, you hate them. Hatred just means a strong feeling of dislike, okay? Something that consistently comes up in relation to the group or individual that we're talking about. I want you to also notice the difference. First off, this is where we're going to start breaking it down. This is where you're going to start facing your hatred and exploring it and trying to, you know, I want you to bring some curiosity to this. What is hatred? Where does it come from? Why does it happen? What does it, what effect does it have on me and on others? I want you, I want you to listen to this podcast thinking, is hating this group or person beneficial to me and others? Or to me or others. You know, who's winning in my hatred? Not is my hatred justified or anything like that. Just what's what's the end result of my hatred? You know, what's, what, what effect does it have? I want you to treat this podcast like an exploration into answering that question. Just like when I really had to face my hatred of pedophiles when I became a probation officer and had to work with rehabilitating them, I had to ask myself, you know, what's the end result of me hating them? Who wins, who loses, that kind of question. 
The first thing I want you to notice is the difference between hating a behavior and hating a person or a group. Okay. Because what we're really looking at is how you might hate a behavior, but because of that behavior, you now hate a person or a group of people who engage in that behavior or who you believe consistently engage in that behavior that you hate or multiple behaviors that you hate. I'll go over those lists I gave you again and you can sort of see the behaviors versus the person. So let's say you hate criminals. It's committing of crimes that you hate as the behavior. But it's the criminals as a group or as individuals that you hate. So what was hating a behavior has now become hate of a person. So you meet someone, you find out they're a serial killer. You feel dislike towards them even though they've, you've never seen them kill. Right? You've never seen the behavior you hate. You just know that they've done it. You know, politicians, we hate them for lying or we hate them for corruption. Right? So you'll hear someone's a politician instantly feel dislike because you assume lying and corrupt behavior. You know, immigrants, we hate them for taking our, you know, they took our jobs or whatever. You know, taking up space and what you feel is yours. You know, that behavior, someone taking up space bothers you. Um, and then you've kind of hated the group or the individual of immigrants. Whether you hate women or men, could be because of behavior. You know, if a woman cheated on you, it's cheating that you hate, and that's bred onto you hating all women. Or if, uh, you know, if a man hit you once, it's men that you hate now, even though the behavior is just the hitting. And it goes on and on. You might hate religious people for being pompous or something, or same with atheists. You, you might hate vegans for telling you what to do. Maybe it's telling you what to do that you hate, and now it's the group that you hate because of that behavior you see them being consistent in. Maybe you don't like people being loud and boisterous, and now you've, that's led you to hate Americans. You don't like people harming others, and that's led you to hate dictators. You don't like people treating you like shit, that's led you to hate your parents. You don't like people being unfair and unkind to others, and that's led you to hate psychopaths. You don't like people doing weird stuff in the bedroom. That's led you to hate homosexuals. And the same again applies to any individuals. If you believe Michael Jackson committed those crimes, it's the crime you hate. And now you've attached it to him as a person. You hate him because you believe he committed those crimes. You know, you might hate lying and you've attributed that to Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. You hate them because they're lying. You might hate religious, fanatic, extremist murdering and that's why you hate Osama bin Laden and on and on it goes so notice that you hate a group or a person and it's based on an original hatred for a behavior okay a threatening type of behavior and so before you you really get to understand why you hate a person what is the behavior that you dislike or strongly dislike that's led to the hate of the person you know, and particularly notice if there's anyone who hate that you hate and you cannot identify a behavior that you know justifies the hatred. Do you just hate someone because they just are? You know, but you're not really sure what it is that their group or them as an individual has done as a behavior that's led to the strong dislike. I want you to notice now how their behavior is not consistent. So a murderer doesn't always murder. They also eat lunch, go to the toilet, hang out with their friends, sleep, go for a walk. They're not like 24-7 murdering. 
even if you say if you hate a homosexual for sodomy because you're religious, they're not just like butt fucking twenty four seven, right? They take a break. Some of them might not do it at all, but be gay. So notice that you've given them an overall rating of hatred. I strongly dislike this group, or I strongly dislike this person, based on a behaviour that does not happen all the time. Now this doesn't excuse the behaviour or condone it. We're not going down the path of whether or not you should hate a person. Just trying to figure out why you do. I want you to notice that once you've given someone a rating of hatred, once you've decided, I hate this person, I strongly dislike them, whatever other behavior they do outside of the behavior you hate gets dismissed. It's it's irrelevant or it's not good enough to balance the scales. So I did that a lot with pedophiles. Like They might have only once ever molested a child and the rest of the time they're like a good Samaritan. doesn't matter. That one crime they committed is what they are now hated for. And no matter how good they are, the rest of the time, it's irrelevant. So notice how hatred does that. It does this kind of all-in thing. You know, quite often a murderer is a one-time murderer, right? In terms of statistics, most often somebody only commits a murder once. You know, they get caught for it, they never do it again. It was kind of like a one-time loss of control. Very few people are serial murderers. Very few murderers are serial murderers. And yet, for a lot of people, once they become a murderer, it's instant hatred. No matter how what they did before that in their life or what they did afterwards. They could have been model citizens by your standards before and afterwards. But now that they've crossed that line, all they get is hatred. Yeah. So notice just how any good behavior by your standard doesn't balance the scales. Right? You might hate Donald Trump for lying, but you would approve of someone, say, giving to charity... But him giving to charity doesn't count. You don't care if he gives to charity. right? It doesn't dismiss the behavior that you hate him for. So essentially the person just becomes the behavior you hate. The group becomes the behavior you think all the members of the group engage in. And so it's just a single point of focus. It may of course be a list of behaviors. You know, you might hate vegans because they tell people what to do and they're hippies and they're bragging, or whatever. Like, you might have a list of things that you hate about them, a conglomerate of behaviors. But if they are to engage in lots of other behaviors that you love, you know, if they treated you with respect, or, you know, they were kind to strangers, or, uh, you know, they looked after your dog while you are away, it might not eradicate their hatred for you. You're like, well, you could, you know, be good for the rest of your life. It's too late. You know, case closed. I want you to notice that there are some people that you just give no exemptions to, right? You just think that like everything they've ever done is bad. Everything that you're aware of or paying attention to is bad. The person is just downright evil. They're pure awful. Everything is either a terrible act or building up to a terrible act or hiding behind something so they can commit more terrible acts. Like you're just pure hatred. There's nothing redeemable, no features you admire or look up to in the person. Let's take a step back for a second and just let's let's deconstruct the emotional responses of hatred. What do you feel when when you know rationally you come to the conclusion that you strongly dislike or hate someone? What do, what do you mean in terms of emotion? You know, I've listed a few common ones here: disgust. 
you know, it's, it's really easy to see hatred or strong dislike as an extrapolation of disgust. I mean, disgust is an aversion to something, a repulsedness. If you think of disgust as being an emotion to help us identify poison, things that we should not take in and not be near, this kind of like sickening feeling to push you back from something that's unhealthy, you know, hatred can often feel like a like an extreme version of that, like a need to get away from something. I think there's a strong element of confusion in hatred, a real loss of understanding, you know, maybe a sense of unfairness or just bewilderment, you know, how can Donald Trump get away with all these lies, these kind of like unanswerable questions, why would a pedophile want to do that to a child, how could that guy kill so many people and not feel a thing, this kind of, these unanswerable, very scary existential questions that come up around the people you hate. You know, they're my parents, how could they be so awful to me? Why would they do that to their child? Those kind of questions often come up in the in the realm of hatred. And I really want to plant a flag in that confusion because I personally believe hatred requires confusion. It requires a lack of understanding that leads to some conclusions being drawn. We'll get back to that. Fear. We don't, we don't really hate things that don't threaten us, do we? There's things you feel strongly about. There's a reason. You see a threat in that, right? Like maybe you hate homosexuals because it threatens your traditional way of life. You think they'll somehow infect everybody and force them into some lifestyle you think just, you know, you just don't understand, you don't want, you don't like, you feel disgusted by. So there's this kind of threat of being taken over. A lot of people feel that way about immigrants. You know, when they look at their own life, they'll see I no no part of my life is actually directly affected by any immigrant, and yet they just get this sense of threat. You know, it's like I'm going to lose something, I'm going to lose a job, I'm going to lose a house, I'm going to lose parking space, I'm going to lose something to these people coming into my country. You know, this kind of threatening fear, this like I'm about to be hurt and I need to protect myself. That's fear, that feeling. Of course, the obvious one, anger, but not just anger. We don't get anger and hatred, we get rage, right? Pulsing, seething, copious amounts of anger. You know, the anger that can turn to violence. The anger that can turn to vengeance. The anger that can make you do really extreme things. Beyond the norm for you. You have to really hate someone to get to that level of anger. We're really talking about rage here. And maybe there's some others for you. What else comes up for you when you think of hatred? Strong feelings of dislike. What is the physical sensations? Is it sickening? Is it tense? Is it hot? Is it kind of blind? Is it focused and cold and hostile? You know, what is it for you? Go back over that list, you know. Bring up those people we identified or you identified as as your examples of hatred and think, you know, what's, what's my, my gut reaction to that? When I see them, when I hear them speak, you know, what do I want to do? What do I feel like? Which leads us, I think, to the most important element of all of this. You see this person, you're, you're like fucking triggered by them. They're a catalyst for these feelings of disgust and confusion and fear and anger and whatever. And then there'll be this story. Okay, this narrative that comes into your brain to explain these feelings and justify this hatred. A story that, that makes sense 
of why you feel this way about that group or about that person. Everybody's got their story. So what are your stories? You know, for me, with with pedophiles, the story was they harm children. They are the lowest and scum of society. You know, they are worthless. They are aliens. They are predators. That was the story, or elements of the story that would come up to explain why I felt the way I felt about them. You know, politicians might be like, they're all full of shit. Maybe that's the story. Or maybe that's the story you bring to religious people. You know, your story about women might be, they're all money-grubbing bitches. Or your story about men might be, they're all rapists. Your story about immigrants might be, oh, they're all coming with, like, bombs strapped to their chest, or they're going to steal our jobs. Your story about Americans might be, oh, they're just loud and abrasive and just think they're awesome all the time. The story about homosexuals might be, oh, they're going to corrupt our children. Or about individuals. The story about Osama bin Laden, you know, he's pure evil. Maybe that's your story. The story about Donald Trump is he's a bullshit artist. Whatever it is, you can... I want you to just, like, how does your brain kind of... What's, what's the motto of hate? What's the little story it, it plays out? Sometimes the stories are quite complex. If you've ever seen Ben Shapiro argue against abortion, he obviously hates abortion and hates abortionists, people who get abortions. But he doesn't have a very simple narrative. He's got a long-winded, complex narrative to this about what the definition of murder is and when a human becomes a human and trimesters and cells coming together to form life. You know, he's got this really long story that says, this is why. I feel this way. So maybe you have a really complicated story too. A lot of prejudices have this story. Like if you're racist against a certain race, you might have statistics about why they're more stupid or more dangerous or more violent. Or maybe you have statistics about your race being superior. Maybe you have a storyline about the time that your dad lost his job to the other one because of blah, blah, blah. You know, you have a story that says, this is why I feel this way. And at this stage, I'm not even challenging your story. I just want you to notice it. Notice you have the group or the individual. You have the feeling that that is triggered in you as soon as you sort of think of them or see them or whatever. And then you have a story that tells you about the feeling. The story might change. There might be lots of variations. There's always that story. So at this stage, I want you to notice what hatred really is. It's an emotional reaction to a trigger that sets off a story of strong dislike. A story that is justified and makes sense to you. Of course I would hate pedophiles because they harm children. It's a story that makes sense to me and kind of concludes this emotional experience I'm happening, uh, I'm experiencing. You know, it helps me make sense of it all. It goes, ah, okay, that's why this is all happening. Nice, neat little package. Of course I should hate them. The now and always. I might even have, well, and everybody else hates them too. And if someone did that to my kid, I'd kill them. You know, and these kind of extra stories I add on to just like sort of really pile up what I think of as evidence. Like, this is a really strong case for hatred. Of course I do. Now, let's start the challenge. I want you to open your mind. You don't even have to open your mind to the possibility that you're wrong. Right, if you can't go that far just yet. 
Like if you're like me, if you if you have a hatred towards say pedophiles, you'll be thinking at this point there is no thing that Daniel could say by the end of this podcast that will mean I don't hate pedophiles, right? I want you to open your mind to the possibility, not that you will like the person or group, but that your story of why you hate them could be improved, shall we say. That it's not the be-all and end-all, absolute truth, without exception, pure. You know, that it's, there's some rawness and some irrationality to it, perhaps. Just open your mind to it. Maybe there isn't. Maybe your story is fucking airtight. Maybe it is the most justifiable case ever invented by a human being. That's possible. But maybe it isn't. Maybe there's some gaps, some plot holes, if you will. That's all I want you to do is open your mind to that. Based on my initial thesis, which is, if you want to be a really confident person, there will not be much hatred in your life. So any opportunity to reduce it, open your arms, welcome it in, no matter how resistant you feel to letting go. Challenge number one, if you hate an individual, so bring up an individual you think you hate. Donald Trump, your father, your ex-girlfriend, whatever. How long have you spent interviewing them and investigating their life? And how thorough is your case study? So this person you hate, if you think of them as an iceberg, how much of it is under the surface, you're not aware of it, and how much of it is above the surface? So how much of their life have you been there for, you know, in terms of time, how much time have you spent beside them as they've lived? You know, have have you read their journal? How aware of how aware are you of their inner experience, their thoughts and their feelings as time, you know, second by second, day by day? You know, have you have you interviewed the significant people in their life from their childhood onwards? Do you know about all the different perspectives of the person? Have you got like a full three sixty degree feedback over time? You know, how how thorough is your case study? Have you seen what all their jobs were like, what all their friendships and relationships were like, the kind of food and stuff they eat, all, all these things that would have affected their behavior and their personality. Yeah, and how much of that behavior and personality have you witnessed? You know, how many hours as a percentage of their life have you been there for to observe? And how unbiased were you during that observation? Were you detached and clinical or were you deeply involved emotionally? And when you got information about them from other people, the same applies to them. How, how involved were those other people? Were they close to the person observing them for a huge percentage of their life? Were the statistics there in terms of psychoanalysis, perhaps, or data retrieved from psychometric testing? Like how much do you really fucking know about this person? Because I'm guessing that a huge percentage of them, way more than just a majority, like almost all of, of them, is hidden beneath the surface to you. But you've extrapolated out. You've taken the tiny bit you think you know about them, and you've come to the conclusion that that is representative of them, it is accurate, that you don't need more information. You've seen enough. Right? And I'm not even saying you're wrong. I just want you to admit to how much you actually know about the person. Okay. And if it's a group of people you hate, this gets even bigger. How many people are in this group? How varied are their demographics? 
For example, if you hate Muslims, you're talking about countries covering like 60% plus of the earth. You know, every color from pale white through to charcoal black and everything in between. Talking about all sorts of different ethnicities, races, ages, cultures, politics. The term Muslim is so widespread and varied, even their interpretation of Islam is varied. So when you when I ask you how many people are in this group, you know, think of the range available within your group. You know, I know vegans who still eat a little bit of meat, through to the kind of super vegan who only eat lettuce and everything in between. Again, ethnicities, ages, gender variation, location variation. How many people are in your group? How widespread is the range of demographics and variables? And of those, how many have you studied in depth? And what laboratory did you do your research on this group? You know, what scientific research have you participated in that studies this group in an unbiased, double-blind, peer-reviewed way? To extrapolate only the truthful evidence. You know, what are the statistics that you're aware of and how does that compare to all the st- statistics possibly available? And how do you explain the outliers? So if there's members of this group that you give an exemption to, let's say you, you hate all brown people but you've got one brown friend. Why, why have you got that one outlier? What, what's your story behind that? Why does that person get, why does that person get let off the hook? And all the others get the hatred label. You know, if you think about how much you know about a single individual, and if that's only a small percentage, then when it comes to an entire group, especially if that group starts to get into hundreds or thousands or millions of people, then the tip of the iceberg becomes microscopic. You know very little about the overall picture. So I just want you to see how much your hatred is based on. And I'm not even saying you're wrong. So let's say, like me, you hated a pedophile because he molested a child. And there's there's huge evidence for the molestation of the child, maybe even admitted to it, right? So it definitely happened. But in time terms, that was less than 0.001% of his life. You know, much, much less. So all the rest of his life, I don't know. Okay, so if I hate him, I'm hating him on that percentage. I'm giving a significance of 100% to an event that was a tiny microscopic fraction of his life. Now, it doesn't mean I'm wrong to do that, okay? I'm really not challenging you there because there's no need to get into unnecessary resistance. Just be honest with yourself about how much data you're basing your hatred on, how scientific the data is, how valid the data is, whether that's been confirmed of people outside of your in-group, you know, outside of the other people who hate them, or whether it's just within your in-group. You know, I, I did a big, big sort of meta study of um, the red pill theory around women, like the rational male kind of theory on women. There's a lot of in-group bias, a lot of bandwagon fallacy, a lot of agreement within red pill about what women are and what they aren't and why misogyny is justified. But you take yourself out of that group and and you'll see that that group is very much in the minority in terms of facing against scientific evidence. You know, there's a lot of pseudoscience in the red pill community and the real science didn't back up what they believed at all. 
So what is your kind of, how big's the tip of your iceberg that you've decided to hate someone on? You know, got a lot of people hating Michael Jackson based on the documentary that came out, like Leaving Neverland. Up until then, they'd been convinced he's not a pedophile. They watched a documentary, an hour and a half, which featured nothing from Michael Jackson himself. And they'll hate him based on that documentary. Think about how how much of the truth about Michael Jackson could possibly dis- be displayed in a documentary that does not feature him at all. I'm not saying it was inaccurate, but that's a little bit to base a lot of hatred on. Very little bit. You better hope that little bit is fucking rock solid if you're going to make a a call for hatred, which reduces your confidence. You're going to choose to give up confidence based on that piece of evidence. So before you choose to give up your confidence to become a more hate-filled person, before you make that choice, make sure you know what you're making it on. You know, if you're you're going to die in this trench, make sure you know which war you're fighting and why that war started and what the war is based on, who you're fighting for and who you're fighting against. You're sure that that's based on solid information. Because you'll feel sure, but that doesn't mean you're right. I hated pedophiles. Partly my story around hating pedophiles was the idea of recidivism. They would keep doing it if they could. Like, if they were unrestrained and there was no laws, they'd just be, like, raping kids all day long. That's what I thought. Now, it made a big difference to find out that I was wrong about that, which I'll talk about at the end of this. I I was weighing a lot of my hatred on that piece of information, this so-called fact that they are like unrelenting monsters. There's a good justification for hatred. They're unrepentant and incapable of rehabilitation and take joy in harming others. It's a really good justification for hate, but if all of that is untrue... A big chunk of my justification story goes down the toilet, which it did, and challenged my hatred overall. So whatever you're basing your hatred on, I just want you to notice the size and the weight and the validity and reliability of that information. You've decided to go all in on disliking someone or a group of people. How reliable is the evidence you're basing this on compared to like 100% reliability? So let's redefine hatred once again. Let's get an even clearer one. So before we said hatred was what? We said it's an emotional reaction to a trigger that sets off a story of strong dislike that is justified and makes sense. Now let's redefine again. Reacting with strong dislike to what you think you know about an individual or a group. So redefine the word story, the story you tell yourself, as to what you think you know. Just to wedge the door open a little, the difference between knowing and thinking you know, because that is a significant difference. Now, what you think you know, again, I haven't even said that you're wrong yet. I'm opening up the possibility, obviously, but what is it based on, the stuff you think you know? Where'd you get it from? What's, What's the source? What are you citing as your evidence? Was it something you saw? Was it what we call anecdotal experience? You know, something that science views as the very bottom of the evidence ladder, the least reliable evidence, anecdotal. You might say you might hate violent criminals because you were beaten up once, right? That's what we call anecdotal experience. 
or you saw someone get beaten up, or you had a friend who was uh, robbed by drug dealers and it really fucked up their finances. You know, that's anecdotal experience. Again, a tiny fraction of your life being extrapolated out into mass blind hatred of an entire group of individuals who vary greatly. Was it something you got from the news media? Are you one of those people who reads the headlines of an article and gets all outraged without even checking to see where the citations for that article are, what the sample size was, where are they getting their information, how reliable is the source? You don't do any of that. You just see a headline like, Donald Trump lies again, and you just go, I fucking knew he'd lie again, god damn it. How, how reliable is your news media? How reliable is any news media? You know, I learned that lesson the hard way. I had a journalist interview me once, you know, the only time it's ever happened and probably ever will happen. And they totally tore me apart in their interview. Uh, and Not in their interview. They totally tore me apart in their uh, report, you know, the final article. Didn't see it coming at all. They came across as all nice and roses when they interviewed me, and then they just gave it to me right up the bum when they published the article. It made me realize, hey, journalists can be totally full of shit, and actually they're kind of paid to be. What about gossip? How much of your information comes third hand? Other people telling you something about them? Or somebody like confirming? You know, I had a lot of other people say, yeah, pedophiles are bad. That's not actually evidence of anything, it's just a person saying something. But it felt like evidence, it felt like confirmation that, you know, someone else agrees with me, that bandwagon fallacy, you know. I must be right. Assumptions and extrapolations. Do you look at someone and come to an assumption that you're not actually sure is true? Like you see someone immigrating into your country and you assume that will mean less jobs for people. Without thinking that these, you know, like say for example, if a Hindu guy moves into your neighborhood and opens up a dairy, he might create three jobs. They might actually increase the number of jobs rather than decrease it. Or did you just think more people, less jobs? And just make that extrapolation, that conclusion, without any scientific data. You know, association, is this, are you just been hanging out with people who also hate the individual or the group that you hate? And just kind of drinking in their hatred, bolstering your own with it. Where are you getting this from? Are you cherry-picking data? Like misogynistic guys do. Where they find little random factoids that show women in a bad light. And they go, see, women are awful. And they ignore all the same statistics for men. Or the wider context that, you know, these facts are coming from a small portion of women or whatever. Do you just like kind of looking for that confirmation bias? Looking to prove yourself right and you find what you're looking for. Another one to look at, like I already asked the question, but asking it, asking it a bit deeper. How do you explain the outliers? Almost any time you hate a group of people, there'll be some exemption. There'll be a person in that group that you've given like a pass to. You know, you might be really racist, but you got that one black friend. Or you might be really homophobic, but you like Queen, you know. <laughs> Who do you exempt? Who are you cool with? And what's the story you tell yourself as to explain that exemption? Is an individual who's occasionally engaged in acceptable behavior? Or is it somebody that you liked personally before you found out they belonged to the group you hate? Or what, what was the reason why you let this person off the hook and the rest of the group gets your disliking? And notice with those exemptions that almost, I'm guessing, without fail, the people that you let off the hook are people whom you understand better. There's someone who's not just a member of a group. They're nuanced. They're, 
They've got some predictability to their behavior. They're complex. They're more of an individual that somehow separates them from the herd that you hate. And so you decided to give them an exemption. Maybe you love Bohemian Rhapsody as a song so much, and you find out, oh shit, Freddie Mercury's gay. You're like, oh well, you know, he makes good music, and you know, he's talented, therefore he's out of the group. He gets a pass. All other homos, though, fuck them. As if they couldn't be talented. As if they don't have anything special in terms of value to offer. Like Freddie Mercury does, right? Maybe you hate white people. We got that one white friend, you know. He's liberal and he, he's nice to you and helped you with the homework that time. Or whatever. And you think, oh, well, you know, Henry's alright. He's not like the others. It's because you've got a personal understanding of him. He's more than just a bland group member to you. He's got this kind of, he's got detail, specifics. What you'll notice is when people of a group that you hate stand out to you as being less hateable, it's almost without fail because you know more about them than you do about the group. And that's a big warning sign, isn't it? Just like you might hate someone for their behavior, and then as you get to know them better, you find them a little bit harder to hate. You might not like them, but that strong, like, blind hatred gets kind of dimmed down to just, like, a personal choice of dislike with some admiration mixed in with some dislike sort of thing. It becomes more complicated than hatred. It becomes more of a kind of preference than this kind of blind raging thing. You know, I've actually had the reversed. I've had people, I used to get this all the time in high school, when somebody first met me, they'd hate me, and then later on like me. And I wouldn't find this out, of course, till much later. But somebody like, there's something about the way I looked or talked or something that just instantly gave people hatred. But then as they kind of were forced to get to know me, maybe sitting next to me in class or sharing a project, it, there would, there's some nuance, usually my people-pleasing probably, would kind of push the lever a bit and they just couldn't sit in that hatred spot anymore. Just It was too, it was impossible to stay there. So I want you to notice that as you understand someone more, it becomes harder and harder to hate them. It can go the other way. As you learn about somebody, you can hate them more, but it's usually just learning about more of their behavior, not learning about them as a person. Like for somebody who's misogynistic, they might hate women, and they hate women more and more as more statistics come in about gold diggers or guys not getting custody of their children or whatever. The statistics pour in, the behavior pours in. You think, see, there's more reasons to hate them, but this isn't actually taking a woman aside and getting to know her personally. This is just confirmation bias. You're just looking for what you're looking for, and you found it. I also want you to notice, and this is where we go in the other direction, that people who should fall into a hate category, because they just, they're, they're, they've done hideous behaviors that you hate, but you don't hate them. Let me give you some examples. Mark Chopper Reed. A lot of people know of Mark Chopper Reed, and if you haven't, you've got to see the movie Chopper, because it's a fucking masterpiece. So Mark Reed was a criminal gangster in Australia, and his, his specialty was hunting down other criminals and robbing them and such, you know. And he spent a lot of time in prison for kidnapping and, you know, various mischief. He was later found guilty of, you know, later in the last, like, few days of his life, he admitted to multiple murders, multiple homicides, and torture. He was a big fan of torture. And yet he is well-loved. Really. I love him. I can't help it. 
If you've ever seen interviews with him, he's just so fucking hilarious and hard case. And and his victims were other criminals. So you got this kind of story about, hey, he's an alright guy, you know, he's good for a laugh. Good old chopper. Except, of course, he is an absolute psychopath who tortured and murdered people. He certainly wasn't averse to causing serious harm. He loved to hurt people. Now, there's people you hate for those very reasons. But maybe you give Chopper an exemption. Why? He's doing all the behaviours you hate. But you're not focused on those, eh? You're focused on the other behaviours, the ones you like. Him being funny. Him being, you know, his dark, charming humour. His witty accent. Whatever it is. Marcus Aurelius. I'm a big fan of his. Roman Emperor. One of the absolute, like, godfathers of Stoicism as a philosophy. You know, his book Meditations transformed my life. Yet, he was a Roman emperor. You know what that means? Genocide. How do you think he expanded his empire? By asking nicely? Fuck no, he murdered hundreds of thousands of people through his armies. For no reason other than to expand his territories. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to go into Germania. He could have left them alone. He chose to actually go in there and murder them by the thousands. But we don't focus on that, do we? We focus on his nice little quotes like, the best revenge is to not be like that, or stop arguing about what a good man should be, just be one. That's what we think of when we think of Marcus Aurelius. We don't think of, hey, go slaughter that whole village to send a message, which he almost certainly would have done. Oprah Winfrey, right? A lot of people love Oprah Winfrey. Gosh, she's got a huge fan base. Yet she is responsible for promoting two specific people, Dr. Oz and Jenny McCarthy's anti-vax message. It is not unreasonable to say that Oprah Winfrey is indirectly responsible for the massive measles outbreaks that we're seeing around the United States and beyond. Because she promoted Jenny McCarthy and gave her legitimacy, Jenny McCarthy's bullshit claim that vaccines cause autism based on a debunked unscientific study has led to people like allowing formerly cured illnesses that murder children to come back into the play. How is Oprah a good person for that? And Dr. Oz, the dude promotes astrology and he calls himself a medical doctor. He would not be famous without Oprah. So Oprah Winfrey, you focus on all these great things. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. All that bullshit. And she's responsible for how many child deaths? How many of those rest on her conscience? If any. She's a billionaire, and children are dying of measles. So why doesn't she get hatred? Another one's Mother Teresa. She's often revered as like a symbol of saintlyhood. And yet there's clear empirical evidence that she kept people sick rather than allowing them to access medical support because of her beliefs and because she wanted them to suffer for Christ. Why does she get worshipped? That's a horrific thing. That is a psychopathic thing to do. And what about me? Do you like me? Hmm? I mean, you've gone into this podcast like almost an hour now. Do you still like me? Do you know everything I've done? Do you? You think I've been nothing but good my life? I once saw a guy outside of a pub throw a bottle at my mate's car. 
Without thinking, I went and pushed that guy down a hill. I could have severely injured him. He got lucky, but it was a big, steep hill that went right down to a main road, and he went out onto the road, I think. I could have broken his neck. For what? For throwing a bottle? Is that a crime that fits the fuck? You know, is that a punishment that fits the crime? I've had sex with girls by pretending to be something I wasn't. They fell for it. Still think I'm a good guy? Notice how you give me exemptions? How even if I tell you these facts, if you already liked me, you can't help but still like me? Notice how unreliable your love-hate thing is, you know? How biased it is. It's not the person or the group that you hate, it's the story in your head. If you've told yourself a good story about people, you can't help but like them. If you tell yourself a bad story about people, you can't help but hate them. And yet the stories are just stories based on very little evidence of any. And even when they're based on something that's solidly true, they are unrepresentative stories. They're only representative of the little thing that you looked at, not the whole person. Yes, it's awful if a pedophile molests a child. Fucking horrific thing to do. Yet, a tiny piece of evidence to base hatred on. Tells you nothing about the full picture of the person, just a piece of horrific behavior they're capable of, nothing more. What is the story based on? And this is where I'm going to tell you a little bit now what I learned about pedophiles and child sex offenders, as they're commonly called. Because this was earth-shattering for me. And without sort of uh, building up too much suspense, what I want to tell you is The key element here was I had to rehabilitate these guys, and there was no way I could do that if I hated them. That was what started me on this journey. I came to quickly realize if someone feels that I hate them, and it's almost impossible to hide hatred, then they would close up to me. And the trouble with rehabilitating an offender is you need them to open up. The only way I could stop someone committing another crime was to get them to be open and honest and transparent with me. That's the only thing I could work with. I mean, I can't stop a guy committing a crime if he hides the fact that he's going to do it. Or that he feels like doing it. And I spent, you know, a good five years rehabilitating sex offenders. Not just them, but they were my specialty. I wasn't able to do that if they wouldn't open up to me about urges and impulses and fantasies and stories and all that horrific stuff I'm not going to tell you about. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell me the stuff if they knew I hated them and judged them and didn't see them as a human. So it was for the good of the community that I tried to let go of this hatred. I knew in order to stop children being molested, I had to stop hating the people who were doing it. It was simply a practical step I needed to take. And you know what made the difference? Study. Instead of just going, a pedophile is a monster who hurts children, I asked myself again, what is a pedophile? What is a child sex offender? First thing I learned, there's a difference. Only about 1-3% to of all child sex offenders are technically pedophiles. Now, pedophiles are the psychopathic predators, the kind who would grab a child off the street and chuck him in a van. You know, absolutely without morals, without conscience, No interest in human relationships or adults' romantic relationships, just sexually interested in children. They're very, very rare. Okay, incredibly rare. They get huge news coverage, so it sounds like they're everywhere. But much more common is the child sex offender, which is someone who will offend against a child, 
but can function normally and have normal adult relationships and has normal human emotions and basic normal psychology most of the rest of the time. The scary fact is, if you're someone who's sociable enough to know more than like 20 people, you probably know one. You just don't know who it is. What I also learned is that they have a warped belief system. These people aren't walking around thinking this is bad to do. They genuinely believe it's okay. Or at least they manage to convince themselves that it is. Just like I think it's okay to binge on chocolate, they have that same kind of belief system about the crimes they commit. So they're actually, in their heads, they're doing something that's alright. Which doesn't make it any better to do. But it makes it a bit more understandable why they don't resist doing it. It's kind of like if somebody made you eating breakfast illegal, you'd think that was really fucked up, and you'd just keep eating breakfast if you could get away with it. Because you think there's nothing wrong with this. Well, they feel that way about what they do a lot of the time. They think it's okay, they even think it's consensual. They're wrong! But in their worlds, that's what they believe. Which explains why they do some of the things that they do. Another thing I learned is their reoffending rates are really low. Once someone gets caught for doing this, they're very fucking unlikely to do it again. If you've ever seen what they have to go through in prison, you realise it's one of the few crimes that really does get punished. Imagine what being the lowest ranking person in a prison is like. Okay. They get theirs, I promise you that. And the shame of it, the horrendous nature of getting caught. Some of these guys, they don't realise it's really wrong until they get caught. Why? Because they were all abused themselves. Now, not all of them, but there is a huge correlation between being a sex offender and having been offended against. Their ideas of what's right and wrong sexually were distorted from a very young age. Now, it doesn't mean somebody who's abused will become an offender. That's a very low correlation. Okay, very few percentage of people who have been abused become abusers. But a high percentage of abusers have been abused. Their idea is warped by that. If someone groomed you into having sex from a young age, you won't think there's anything wrong with it. And that's why they really, they're, sometimes they're shocked that they get in trouble for this stuff. Because everyone around it did it to them their entire life. I learned that it's more likely to be someone you trust and love than a stranger. And this is something a lot of people I worked with in the community really repulsed against. They thought that pedophiles were these monsters that lived in the fringe of society and came like lurking out of caves to steal children. Without realizing, actually, it's much more likely to be your brother, or your cousin, or your neighbor. person you love and trust and more than happy let babysit your kids. It's more likely to be that person. Way more likely. And I came to realize as I worked with these guys that they are. They're brothers and husbands and neighbors and cousins. And, you know, that most of the time they're, <laughs> I hate to say it, but normal good guys. And it's not even an act, always. They are, most of the time, normal good guys, but then they snap. There's something twisted in their psychology that throws them into this horrific, dark place where they do these terrible things. And that thing is sexual shame. Almost none of the guys I worked with didn't have horrific shame problems around sexuality. You know, maybe they'd been abused for being gay, like severely bullied and sexually abused. Or beaten half to death for not being manly enough by their father or whatever. They had these things that's distorted and twisted them. A lot of them really struggled socially. And so they spoke to children because children were the only ones who were non-judgmental. 
And then their brain would kind of snap and think they were in some sort of relationship, you know. I know this stuff is really hard to hear. It was very hard for me to hear as well. But it was all stuff that was news to me. I didn't know this stuff. And there was plenty of research to back up everything I'm saying. Trust me, because I had to read it all to really believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe that they could be rehabilitated, but they really fucking can. The rehabilitation program that we took them through in prison and then in the external community brought their reoffending rates down by like 80%. We had one of the leading programs in the world. So these guys who I thought would definitely do it over and over again can be made to never do it again and to function as a, as a serving member of society to, I guess in a way, almost make up for what they've done. You know, to learn... Just like any of us who do something wrong, learn learn what doing it right looks like, and then consistently do that. They can do that. That what they've got is essentially a psychological disorder with a really horrendous consequence. Now, some people have psychological disorders that don't have such a bad consequence. Like, not all schizophrenics become murderers. They just usually have kind of like an awful experience by themselves, or bipolar but once you get into things like borderline personalities, severe autism, psychopathy, you know, we see some really destructive behaviours come out of those, but those people aren't to blame for being that way, they didn't choose to. Well, unfortunately, pedophilia is very similar. Nobody wants to be a pedophile. Okay, nobody goes, out of all the things I could be, I'm going to choose being the most hated thing in society. It's essentially either a personality disorder or a mental illness. And the most horrendous thing I learned that really moved me is that the one thing that's guaranteed to increase the risk of them doing a sexual offence is when they're publicly shamed or there's outrage against them. That's the thing that makes them most likely to re-offend. Public shaming or just shaming in general. So I realised that me hating them made them more likely to commit an offence. I was actually now becoming a trigger for their offending. Now, I don't feel, like, guilt about that or anything. But it made me realize, like, if my real goal is to protect children, I need to sort this shit out. I can't just bathe in hatred like a selfish cunt. I need to, I need to figure a way around this, through this, over this, under this, whatever. And as I came to get to know them and see beyond their offending, see who they were as people, the range, the variation, the backstory, the cause and effect pathways that led them to this, I came to realize, well, they're no different to anybody else who engages in harmful, destructive behavior. It's just their one, their behavior is like the worst one. But somebody who drink drives or yells at their wife or overeats is following a similar pattern. They just end up at a, a less harmful result. So you've got to understand, when it comes to pedophiles and child sex offenders, I still hate what they did and what they do. That hasn't even moved an inch. I do not condone or apologize for or tolerate sexual offending against children. There is no excuse for that. But I understand it now. I get why it happens. Scientifically, I understand the process that leads to it happening. And understand that the offender is essentially a vehicle delivering an outcome. You know, you abuse the shit out of a child and beat the fuck out of them and get them all warped sexually, and then you send them out into the world with no guidance on how to form a relationship. 
They're basically a vehicle for all this insecurity and fucked upness that ends up being a child sex offender. And hating them makes it worse, not better. (laughs) So professional understanding and acceptance that they exist is better for their treatment than hatred. And when I got through to that stage with them, where I could work with them in an accepting way, go, okay, yes, they are like this, and their behavior sucks, but there's still hope for them. They're still a human being. There's still a lot more to them than just this behavior. And how do I bring that out to prevent the other behavior from happening? I came to realize this applies to anyone I hate. The racists that I hate. The nationalists that I hate. You know, the feminists that I hate. All these groups that I hate or hated. I realize, well, I'm focusing on the worst aspects of their behavior. On very poor evidence. And by doing so, I actually provoke more of it. You behave hateful to someone, you don't bring out the best in them, do you? Bring out their worst. So what have you learned about who you hate? Because here's some little things to think about. Let's say you hate criminals or people that engage in harmful behaviours. Pretty much all studies will show you that nearly all criminals are a direct product of their culture. In societies where the culture supports a higher well-being than other societies, they have lower crime rates. It's really like a cause and effect thing here. It's not even correlation. Basically, if you've got a country with like good education, low poverty, good healthcare, you have low crime. Or they commit crime due to mental illness and psychopathy. There's there's almost there's basically no one in the crime pie. There's no niche of that, you know, no slice of that pie that is someone just being a fuckwit. Okay? There's always a really kind of clear explanation. How someone went from being a normal baby through to a criminal. You know, one that if you were put on the same pathway, you would have ended up being a criminal too, just like them. Right? So for you to hate someone because of the pathway that they did not choose, which brings me to the next one, I'm going to do a whole podcast on this later, but there's no such thing as free will, scientifically speaking. There is no way to make a decision without being influenced by everything that's affected your brain. Right? You cannot make a decision that's detached from your genetics, your personality traits, your culture and upbringing, your current context and situation. It is not possible to make a decision that is somehow detached from all those things. So whatever behavior you hate, you've got to understand that their decision-making process was at least heavily influenced by things that they cannot control, just as yours is. No doubt you've done some pretty hateful things in your time. You've done things that other people hate. You've done things that you regret, but you did what you think was right at the time, don't you? You did what you couldn't help but do. How's that different for the people you hate? And you've got to understand, you participate in a system that creates the individuals and the groups that you hate. You hate criminals? Well, you're part of that system. right? You're in their culture. You hate the politicians? You're the ones doing the voting or not voting. You're campaigning or you're not campaigning. You're participating or you're not. You're part of the system whether you want to be or not. And the system isn't like you and everything else. When you say society, you've got to include yourself. You're a part of that society. So if that society produces individuals or groups you hate, you contributed to that. You're part of it, some small part. Take responsibility for that. Get to know what you've created. Belief systems are mostly cultural and familial. If you're born in Pakistan, you're probably going to be a Muslim. If you're born in India, you're probably going to be a Hindu. 
Right? If you're born in Sri Lanka, you're probably going to be a Buddhist. That's not a mistake. That's not a fluke. Right? Whatever it is that you believe and think is right and wrong, you were heavily influenced by what you grew up around. To the point where you barely had a choice. So why are you hating other people for them barely having a choice either? Whatever they think to do is right, even if you hate that behavior, they didn't have the influence you had. The education, support, encouragement, whatever it is you had that led to a different belief system, they didn't have that. Are you going to despise them for their lack? And also, you've got to remember, what you hate is somebody else's paradise. Why are you so sure that your one is the right one? How are you that lucky, you know? If you hate something that a lot of other people love, how are you the one that's right? I mean, like, I'm, I'm coming around with a few things now, one being religion. Now, I still hate a lot of behaviors done in the name of God. But, you know, how am I so sure that my view of the world is the best one? Sure, I'm atheist and scientific. I might be the most, you know, following the most sort of kind of truthful and accurate path that a human can follow. But is that even the best way? Is that making us happier, more productive, less likely to destroy the planet? Who knows? Maybe it is, but I don't see evidence of that. So how am I so sure my one's the right one? Now, I'm going to stick with my one, don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to hate other people for theirs because, shit, they might be onto something. I don't know until I explore it. I've got a good friend who's into mysticism. She studies all the different philosophies and religions, and she looks beyond like the modern context, looks back to their history, where they came from. You know, she's got such a great view of the world, and yet she doesn't, you know, subscribe to anything. She doesn't even subscribe to atheism. She just believes whatever feels right for her to believe in. It's not the same method that I take, and yet her one really does work for her, so who am I to judge her? Certainly don't hate her. I think she's great, but you're so sure your one is right, your view is right, that the others are wrong. Just imagine, what if you're wrong? What if you're both wrong? Because the most likely outcome of two people believing something is that they're both wrong. Here's your mission. Try to get to understand what you hate. Instead of looking to prove your story, start trying to find the counter evidence and the rational explanation that helps you get their story. Sure, they might do something you hate, something you despise with all your heart. Try to figure out why they do it. Really, what it's like to be them. Why, why they think it's a good idea. And before you decide that you're going to let that hatred into your life, that you're going to, let, you're going to sacrifice confidence for hatred, make sure you have full understanding of the cause and effect of the behaviors that you hate. Before you come to that really self-sabotaging conclusion of hating. Why? Because who's suffering from your hate? You are. You know, by not hating sex offenders, I was able to prevent them from offending. I gotta say, like, all the people out there who feel superior to me because they really hate sex offenders, how many of them have you prevented from committing another crime? Because I've done it with hundreds. I've had literally hundreds of guys saying, if you hadn't talked to me last week, I would have done it again. How many guys have said that to you, if you hate sex offenders? I used to be pretty racist, you know, just the kind of casual racism that you pick up growing up in Auckland. By not hating other races anymore, I've made some really good friends and I've learned some awesome cultural stuff and some great kind of wisdom from totally different perspectives on life. I definitely wasn't winning anything by hating other races, just missing out on people.
I never really hated immigrants, but I just kind of had that basic, like, outsider mentality, like, you're not one of us. You know, if you don't like it, go home. But since I learned to not hate them and welcome them into my life, I've learned the truth about immigration, which is we're all immigrants. <laughs> Unless you're, like, born and raised in the heart of Africa. If you date back our anthropological lines, our biological bloodlines, we all come from Africa. So your family is an immigrant family, unless you're like living in the Republic of Congo right now, right? And your family's been there forever. So if you're hating immigrants, you hate yourself, you hate your own family, you hate your, you hate your ancestors. How's that working out for you? How's that hypocrisy treating you? By not hating politicians and psychopaths, I learned the truth about manipulation, con artists, and now it's almost impossible to manipulate me. By hating people that did that, I was actually more susceptible to manipulation. When I hated con artists, they were able to con me. When I hated salespeople, they were able to sell to me. Now that I wanted to study them and understand them and explore their psychology, I learned what they were doing and how they were doing it. And now I can see it happening. It's very hard to do it to me now. What could you learn if you stopped hating? I mean, how is hate benefiting your quality of life? How can you say, this part of my life is better because I hate this group or this person? You know, maybe you've genuinely got an answer for that. You're like, you know, I really hate my parents and that's why I have such high self-worth. But odds are, if you're full of hate, even for a single individual, there's no measurable benefit coming to you. But wait till you see what happens when you work through the hate with understanding and curiosity and education. When you dig in rather than run away from what you hate, you've got so much to learn, so much benefit there. And I want to finish with a quote from Bill and Ted. Be excellent to each other. It's one of the most winning strategies I've ever heard in my entire life. As always, if you want help with this kind of stuff, if you want to build your confidence and reduce your hate or resentment or loathing or whatever, even if it's just towards yourself, especially if it's just towards yourself, then get in touch. Dan at brojo.co.nz Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys for the next one next week, I guess. Cheers.